You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest preaching for us for our revival services. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truths from His Word today. There's a verse now in my heart, Pastor, if I can do that. What I couldn't think of a while ago was an old song that I heard a preacher sing years and years ago that has meant more to me as I grow older. <clears throat> if you know it, you can help me. I know a couple, three verses of it. But this ought to be our testimony after hearing that and what we're looking at in the book of Corinthians. One day while I was thinking of unseen things above the Savior came unto me and he told me of his love and I want to die on this battlefield I want to die in this war I want to die on this battlefield with glory in my soul Well, there used to be some people who walked and talked with me. But since I've met the Savior, they've turned their backs on me. But I want to die on this battlefield. I want to die in this war. I want to die on this battlefield with glory in my soul. Well, I'll take this gospel trumpet and I'll begin to blow. Oh, Lord, if you will help me, I'll tell it wherever I go. Because I want to die on this battlefield. I want to die in this war. I want to die on this battlefield with glory in my soul. That ought to be our desire, shouldn't it? And so, as a a child of God, the Lord gives us years. And uh, if we're blessed with a number of those years, I think the truth of that impacts us day by day. And, uh, you know, David failed God. He was a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart. But many times we pull that terrible chapter of David's life out and we preach about it as a reminder of what can happen to the child of God. And uh, sadly, it's true of human nature that uh, you can serve the Lord faithfully for years and blow it miserably one time and you'll be remembered for the time that you blew it. So uh, this, I believe, is why that The Corinthian letter has been on my heart so much lately. Let's go back there tonight to chapter 1 again. And uh, let's just pray before we do anything else tonight. Father, we come before the throne of grace tonight, Lord, because you have bid us to come. Father, we say just now that We surrender ourselves, Lord, as completely and as entirely as we know how to do that, to be used, Lord, for your glory. We pray, Father, tonight you will still us. You'll arrest our attention. I pray, Father, that you will allow every heart to receive the truth tonight in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're troubled about our nation, Uh, Lord, our own state, and our own families. We're asking tonight, Lord, for divine intervention, Lord, on a level that will change us into the people of God that you have intended us to be. Father, may this not just be a few nights that we gather together and enjoy ourselves, but Lord, may it be a meeting Lord, with Thee. May it be a time that we are surrendered and listening and obedient. Now, Father, take this unworthy vessel of clay, hide me behind the cross, 
Speak to and through me tonight, Lord, we pray that you might be honored and exalted, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. Let's move on a little farther in this letter. Uh, We read down through verse 19 this morning, and I want to start in verse 17 tonight and read down just a little farther. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That portion of Scripture should impact us greatly. I don't know that I've preached it here. I may have a series of messages on the cross, and when I do that, Uh, This is one of the beginning text verses that I use to begin to look at the meaning of the cross. Now, I know tonight that I'm preaching to people that are preached to regularly, and you're, you're preached to solidly. And so, I don't have anything new or stupendous or something that you've never heard before to give to you. Uh, I have, I have a, a, a message that I believe the church across America is desperate for. I'm not sure how well uh, we are willing to receive it because, uh, you know, we Americans, we don't like to admit this, but we're quite an arrogant lot, aren't we? And we're, we're proud of a lot of things, and uh, I, think there is, I think there is a right kind of pride, and there is a kind of pride, and the pastor mentioned Proverbs 6 this morning, the seven things that God hates, what's the very first one? Proud look, proud look. That uh, person he was talking souls discord among the brethren, all, all of these things are dealt with in the Corinthian letter, but a, a proud look, you know, you don't have to look far in America to see that, do you? You don't even have to look far in the church to see it. You don't even have to look into too many pulpits to see it. God help us. We can become proud people. We, we become puffed up. We, we begin to think that we're somebody. And uh, I think there's such a thing in our day, I, I'm confident that I'm right in saying this, uh, of Christian celebrities. People that uh, seem to be on a scale that we cannot achieve unto. You know, I've heard preachers preach, and you probably have too, 
And I felt like, man, they're living in a different world than I live in. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't seem like the reality that I know to be true. Uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it in that first song. Prone to wander. I feel that every day, Brother Case. I hate to admit it, Pastor, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't feel my proneness to wander from my Lord. If you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, I highly recommend it to you. And uh, in the story, uh, Pilgrim uh, and his friend Faithful are making their way along, and they come to a place called Vanity Fair. And uh, in that place, Faithful, I think, is the one who... Uh, uh, I believe he's the companion at that particular juncture in the book, and uh, Faithful is finally martyred. He's killed there. Uh, and and uh, uh, the thing that, that upset the inhabitants of Vanity Fair about these pilgrims was the fact that they didn't want anything to do with the wares that they had for sale. They, they didn't dance to their tunes. They weren't turned aside by all the sights and the sounds. And and they just wanted to get on through there and on to the celestial city that was their destination. And, and, it, and it enraged the inhabitants of, of Vanity Fair. Much like our own day, we are living in Vanity Fair. We're, we're living in this world that is wicked to the core. And uh, they detest anything that smacks of God, anything that reminds them of their accountability to the Almighty. They detest it, they reject it, and they hate it absolutely. One of the most frustrating things to do is to be in an argument with someone, and they try to turn the tables on you when you maybe have done nothing, and they try to make you look like the one who's done it all. It's frustrating, isn't it? And that's where we are in America. So the church has to respond to that somehow. And I think a lot of folks have decided that we've got to respond politically, that we're going to, we're going to go to the polls and we're going, to, we're going to vote in and we're going to legislate what's right. That's never going to happen. I want you to know tonight that it's never going to happen. And I'll tell you the reason it's never going to happen. A person can be conservative and be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Conservatism does not mean Christianity. Conservatism itself does not mean that that is godliness. A person can be morally bankrupt, they can be spiritually lost and dead, and be a conservative in their beliefs and in the things that they do. Conservatism's not the answer. It's not a matter of conservatism versus liberalism. The text that we're looking at tonight will give us the only two classes of people that there really are in the entirety of the world. Now, Paul was very specific in saying, don't get caught up in man worship. And that's what I want you to understand tonight, that it doesn't mean that we can't appreciate someone in the service of God, but we can't get caught up in man worship, in lifting people up to the status of heroism, or lifting people up to the point that we put them on a pedestal above everybody else. Because listen, that will affect the person put on the pedestal. Uh, we are as as uh, uh, we're we're as apt to become lifted up with pride as the next person, and uh, so we want to look at what Paul says here about how uh, we are to to go around that that catastrophic episode that could happen to any of us in in getting caught up in division and man worship, and and he says. Verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to do one thing, and that's to preach the gospel. Now, let me just pause here and say this to you. When I see that phrase, I'm reminded of what a friend of mine told me down in southern Indiana a couple of years or so ago. They were in a small country church in the heart of the Bible Belt. They were without a pastor. And they had called in a young man who was a, seminary, uh, a seminarian, I should say, at that time. I don't think he had graduated yet, maybe, possibly had. And uh, they sat him down with the pulpit committee and they questioned him about some things. And as, as most church pulpit committees that I've had any dealings with, they, they ask him a lot of nonsensical stuff. Not really anything that mattered anywhere to anybody. And, and my friend who is a child of God, loves the Lord, spiritually minded man, 
He said, you know, he said, I just, I, he said, I've never asked a candidate this question. But he said, I asked this young man. I said, could, sir, could, could you give us, while you're seated here tonight, could you give us the gospel? And you know what he said? He said, Brother Kaufman, he said, that guy totally locked up. He said it was, it was the most incoherent babbling of mumbo-jumbo I've ever heard in my life. He said, we sat waiting for him to give us the gospel, and he couldn't do it. You know what's worse than that? When he walked out, they were discussing. All the other people that heard that, with the exception of my friend and his wife, said... We know he's young, but I think he'll eventually make a good pastor. And my friend spoke up and said, folks, he couldn't even give us the gospel. I was preaching a couple of weeks ago, and a fellow came up to me, and he said, I graduated seminary in, uh, I think, the late 70s. And uh, he said, in the class that I was taking at the time, he said there was a pastoral class. He said there were 23 students in that class. And he said the professor asked us one day to write down why we were going into the ministry. He said there were four of us out of 23 that said we were called of God. Four out of 23. The others had a variety of answers. Well, you know, I, my mom said I'm good with young people. My pastor says he thinks I'll make a good youth man. Some said, you know, I think it'll be an honorable profession. These are simple, fundamental truths of Christianity 101, church. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 give you the clearest, the most basic, the most fundamental definition of the gospel that you'll find anywhere in recorded literature. It is absolutely unacceptable that any man who calls himself a preacher of the gospel can't tell you what the gospel is. Unacceptable. It's beyond unacceptable that churches have stooped to the place that, the, that we would even consider calling a man that could not define the gospel. Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. He's not undermining baptism. He's not even undermining what we know as denominationalism. I mentioned it to you this morning. It does its damage, but there has to be distinctives. There have to be some things that separate us and, and, and some things that we stand for. But he's, Paul is not talking about just those things. He's talking about a sectarianism. He's talking about a, a, a division within the body of Christ. I, I saw a preacher illustrate it, and I've done a little building over the years so I could appreciate this, and I'm a left-hander, so you guys will enjoy this. Uh, uh, do you ever hit the wrong nail when you're driving a nail? Mm. Uh, I, I busted that thumb open one time, and it was a hot day. We were nailing metal on, and I, I mean, I busted it. It split from there about halfway around, and just about the time that the Blood got thick enough to dry on it. Boom, I hit it the second time, and it was worse than the first time. And a guy made a smart remark, and we just about had some bad words right there. But uh, God gave us grace. But you know what? Here's what happened. What, what does your body do when you hit that thumb? Do, do, does this hand say, give me that hammer. Do you see what you've done to me? Put yourself down there. I'm going to get back at you. you know, do you know what? When you hit this thumb, do you know what this hand does? Uh -huh. It comes over there and rushes to the rescue, doesn't it? I mean, it comes to the aid. It says, oh, you are hurting and I'm hurting with you. Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? How come when one member hurts, we want to come over there and pound around a little bit? Well, let me get a lick in on you while you're bleeding. Bodies don't do that. When a member of the body hurts, the whole body's miserable. It can be the head or it can be the toe. But the whole body is in misery because there's one part of the body. Christians have got to get back to that. 
We got to come back to the place that we recognize and realize that we are the body of Christ on this earth. We, we are the bridegroom of the bride. We have been called out. We have been bought with a price. We're not our own. And Paul says, now, I'm not undermining baptism, but he said that wasn't what Christ called me fundamentally to do. He says he's sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, here's the two different ways tonight. There is the way of philosophy, and there is the way of the Word of God. Simple as that. The philosophy of mortal man and the teaching, the clear teaching of the Word of God. Now again, I believe that I'm teaching and preaching to people tonight that adhere to the belief that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of the living God. And, and as we hold to that, we at the same time must also say, Lord, not only do we have the Word, but I want the Word to have me. And we can have it, and we can hold it, and it not have and hold us. And so the philosophy of man is diametrically opposed to the teachings of the Word of God. Again, you know this, but maybe we all need to be reminded. I know I certainly do from time to time. So Paul is saying that I am called to preach the gospel not with wise words. Now, there can be words of wisdom without it being the wisdom of words. Does that make sense to you? When men try to impress each other with words that are spoken eloquently, or they do things for the applause of men. Now, I've been, I've been dealt with by the Holy Spirit uh, over the years about ministry and how that we are to do ministry. A friend of mine called me the other day, uh, this past week, and he uh, shared with me a burden and some things that was going on in his life. And, and he said, uh, what, what do you think I should do? And I said, wait on the Lord. And, and, I'm, uh, and I'm not trying to sound spiritual. I just said, you know what, when I don't know what to do, I don't want to do anything until God gives me the green light. And uh, he said, and he, it was a church that he was... Uh, he was interested in, and he'd been there before a few years ago, and he said, I felt like God wanted me to go, but not then, and the timing wasn't right, and he went into the town recently, and he got burdened about this church, and then went by, and their pastor had just resigned. And he said, do you, do you think I ought to send him a resume? I said, I can't answer that for you. I said, I, for me, personally, no, I wouldn't. I said, I'm not saying for you not to. I'm just saying that for me, I would feel like I was trying to help God out. Now, now hear me right here, church. The Corinthian church was guilty of allowing water to get in the boat. In other words, the thinking of the Corinthian society was affecting the church in Corinth. I recently was reminded uh, of uh, uh, the old fellow over in England that had the orphanage. Uh, help me. George Mueller of Bristol, thank you. And, and you know, Mueller, I think, had it right. There, there was a, uh, a rule that if you worked for Mueller at the orphanage, you could not make your need known to anyone but God. Now, I, I know this is, this is the thing that hits on our nerves, and we don't like to think like this, and, and I've heard all the arguments, and I'm just preaching to you, okay? You have to, have to take it up with God. If God has called me, I believe I can place my needs before the Lord, and God knows those needs, and will work in the right heart at the right time and the right place to fulfill those needs. Now, I can work like the businessman works, and I'm not, I'm not totally against resumes. I'm not saying that's always the wrong thing. But here, here's what my friend was saying. He said, I believe that God is sovereign over the affairs of man. And I believe that God's in charge. And I believe all of that. Then he says, should I send a resume? And you say, well, we've got to let people know. Does God know? Is it possible that God could maneuver things in such a fashion that that church could call him if he's the man for it? 
I said, you know, brother, I just believe that if God's in it, I said, they, I said, I believe that God will lay your name on somebody on that committee and somebody will call you up or they'll get in touch with you. I, here, I said, here's what I would be afraid of. If I sent the resume in and then they did call me, I said, I'd always wonder in the back of my mind, was that me or was it God? Are you listening? Now, we can, we can excuse it in any number of ways. But listen, it's still Corinthian thinking. Trying to operate the things of God the way the world operates. We try to market Christianity. We try to market ourselves. I cannot be a self-promoter. God won't let me. I cannot be a self-promoter. That doesn't, that doesn't, I'm not saying that to sound humble. I'm not saying that to sound like, you know, poor me. I'm saying that God has called me into the gospel ministry. And as long as the call of God is real in my life, it doesn't matter what all the circumstances surrounding my life might be. As long as I'm obedient to God, that's the only thing that matters. Paul is trying to get these people to understand that we don't do it with wisdom of words. We're, we're not in this thing trying. Have you ever gone to one of those things where you get, in the, you get something in the mail or you get the phone call and you've won this prize and all you got to do, now you got a two-day getaway, all you got to do is sit through a sales presentation. I hate that stuff. Uh, I detest multi-level marketing. Friends that'll say, hey, I've learned a long time ago. Somebody called me up and say, hey, what are you doing Thursday night? I'll say, how come? Why? What's going on? Well, you know, we won't come by and talk to you. I'm not interested. I don't want to sell anything. I don't want to sell vitamins. I don't want to sell shoes. I don't want to sell Amway. I don't want to serve. I don't want to sell anything. I just want to try to live my days out serving the Lord. I don't do too well with that a lot of times. So here's where we are. We've tried to develop marketing as the people of God. And we've even stooped to the, to the low level of saying, hey, you'll do good in your church with this. I've had preachers come to me with a multi-level marketing scheme saying, ah, you'll do good with this. I said, but I'm not a salesman. Oh, but you'll, you'll do great with it, preacher. I said, no, you don't understand. I will be lousy at it. They said, well, how can you say that? I said, because I'm not a salesman. I'm not here tonight because I want to be up here in front of you. My nature is... My nature is if I were to come into this meeting, I'd be back there in the back. That's my nature. I don't fault anybody that sits down front. Thank God for people that do that. But my nature would be to slip in somewhere and stay out of sight. My nature would be to just kind of come in and listen and, and, you know, shake a few hands and slip out. But, but I think that we're in trouble when we start marketing ourselves. And selling ourselves to each other. And we try to sell what we got to the world. We don't have anything to sell. We don't have anything tonight that we can market. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Now not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching. The philosophy of the world says we're going to figure this thing out in our brains. The philosophy of the world says that hurricanes such as the ones that have just happened and ones that are coming are the result of global warming. The world's wisdom and the philosophy of the world says that El Nino and El Nina are behind a lot of the jet stream activity. Now that sounds wonderfully scientific. And it sounds all grand, you know, to say, oh, you've got all that figured out. So it's El Nino and El Nina, and it's global warming, and it's the polar ice caps, and 
I saw a thing just maybe last night on the news and uh, the, the uh, northern lights were up there and, and you know they were they were visible farther south than they've been for a while and the the commentator was telling me what the northern lights were some kind of uh, ionized charged particles from the sun that Something had happened up there. And I thought, you know, it's strange. Nobody seemed to know what the northern lights were a few years ago. Everybody used to just stand in awe of it. And even the scientists said, we can't explain it. I, we just don't know. But now we know. Now we got smart enough, we figured it all out. You know what? That's about as dumb as a box of rocks. Now, I mean, church, listen. When we sit back and we say, in essence, and here's the philosophy of man, we don't need God. We, we don't need a creator anymore. We would rather believe in a bang. We, we would rather believe that it all just started by a blow up. Tell me when you've ever seen anything blown into some kind of order. Watch the news tomorrow and look at Florida and see how much order that the hurricane has blown together. See how many buildings got blew into place. See how many cars were washed thoughtlessly and left lined up for the dealers to sell. See how many motels were cleaned and vacuumed and the windows were shined and they were put in place and some that had broken windows had windows put in them all because of the chaos of a hurricane. That's dumb. So when the world tells me that by their wisdom that all of this started with an explosion, I want to know what was there to blow up. What was there there that could make a bang? I worked on a three-man or four-man load crew in the in the Air Force, and we worked on the F-4 uh, bomber, uh, F-4 fighter plane, rather, and we loaded uh, everything from 20-pound uh, practice bombs to a nuclear warhead. And and I learned this much as uh, third man on that team. Uh, I, it was my job. You don't have to be real smart to do this to put in the mechanical fuse in the end of that bomb. And, and to make sure that it was ready to go. And then at the end of the runway, you had to, if they came back, hopefully they didn't come back with any ordinance, but if they came back with anything, to go out there and put the pins back in it and make it safe. Now, I learned that in order to have a bang, you've got to have something to blow up. You've got to have something like ammonium nitrate and diesel fuel or something along those lines to at least make an explosion. But the philosophy of man says, forget God, forget the Bible, forget anything that smacks of God, and listen to me. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, don't think like the Corinthians think. My appeal to you this week, church, as wonderful a church as Fellowship Baptist Church is, and you are a wonderful group of believers. And I owe you a debt that I will never be able to repay. And I love you as much as an outside preacher I believe can love you. But I want to tell you, you're not immune from the philosophy of the world. You're not immune from being lured to think like everybody else thinks. And the next thing you know, we're not depending on God. We're depending upon our own ability. We depend upon our means and, and the way we can manufacture things to bring about an end that we desire. And that was the thinking of the Corinthian church. Paul said you're, you're off base when you're concerned about who baptized you and you're concerned about which man you're following. He said, did Christ? He said, Christ is the only one that has died for you. Did Paul, was he, was he crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified? Was Simon Peter crucified for you? And listen to what he says. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The power of the cross. The power of a Savior nailed to a tree. Now I wish we would let that impact us again. We've all heard that so much that it just doesn't really do much for us, does it? Let's be honest. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would bring them out from under the iron fists of the Roman Empire. 
They wanted a savior who would break the back of Rome and would elevate Israel to the place where they thought they should be elevated to. And Jesus didn't come that way and they rejected him. We don't want a savior who will come meek and lowly. We don't want a savior who will come, as I said this morning, laid in a cow stall. We don't want a savior who will come in here and 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 fraternize with sinners. I mean, we didn't we we didn't look for a savior like that. We want one who will come in splendor and lift up Israel. Jesus didn't come in that day to lift up Israel. He's not coming in our day to lift up America either. We should not let our national allegiance blind us to our allegiance to spiritual things. We should not allow our political affiliations to blind us to our need of spiritual training and our need of prayer, our need of time spent on our knees before God. If we think like the Corinthians thought, if we think like Americans think without God, then we're no different than the world is and we'll be as of little effect as the world is. Why is it that we're not seeing long-term results in most churches? Why is it that we're not seeing great numbers saved and then brought into the church, staying there and discipled by the church and growing by leaps and bounds and their families coming to Christ? Because we've learned how to manufacture candidates. We've learned how to manufacture converts. We've done it. We've learned how to get people to repeat a prayer. We've learned how to get them to raise their hand. We've got them to nod their head. And they come down the aisle and we say, hey, there's another one for us and there's another one for us and there's another one for us. And the next thing you know, they're right back out there where they came from with no change and there's no desire to serve God. There's something wrong with that kind of a fanatical fake conversion. It's wrong. Now, let me hasten to say, all of us have an ego. All of us want to do well. All of us want to be liked. All of us want to be looked at as being somewhat of a success. When the old missionaries like Hudson Taylor and uh, some of those old men, when they went off to far reaches and, and they were there for years without a single convert, what would our modern mission boards and our modern churches do? I'll tell you what they'd do. They'd drop them like a hot rock. You're not producing results. You're, you're, you're not doing anything. We need to see converts. We need to see people that we can say there is a child of God. Since when did God call us to keep the books? Since when did God say you have got to keep a ledger of all that happens and transpires so that you can brag on each other and pat each other on the back? God help us tonight, church. The Lord hasn't called us to be spiritual bookkeepers. He hasn't called us to follow men. He has called us to preach the gospel. Every one of you have the obligation and the responsibility to be a preacher of the gospel tomorrow when you go through the doors of the place where you're, where you're employed. Now you may not be called to preach as I am, as your pastor, as Brother Kay. You, you, you may not have the same calling, but you can be sure God, if he saved you, has called you to present the gospel to a fallen world. Now, the philosophy of the world says it's in our wisdom, it's in our knowledge, it's, uh, it's all about us figuring it out. The world wants a God that they can put under a microscope and explain him away. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Those that are perishing, that phrase it carries the idea in the, in the original that that's an ongoing process. Those that are perishing. Unto those that perish, it's foolishness. But unto them which are saved, unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that, that do what? Them that believe. Not them that are religious. Here's the vast difference between the two classes of people that I've been preaching all this time to get you to. It's either belief or it's unbelief. The thing that saves your soul is believing what God said. And the thing that will damn your soul is not believing what God said. When a world that's lost without God, when they reject Christ, when they reject the preacher's message, when they reject Scripture, when they reject the plain teachings of, of biblical truth, they're saying, we don't believe it. And that, my friend, is the damning sin. Unto us which believe is the power of God. You know why that I can say tonight that it's the power of God in my life? I have, I have known its power. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm, about, what I'm saying there. I'm not saying that I am this powerful fellow. I'm saying that I have known the power of Christ to redeem my poor lost soul. As they were singing earlier tonight, the old accuser comes around often to me, Brother Case, and he says, I know you, Kaufman. I know you. I know where you've been. But I'm glad that I have one in heaven who's my mediator. I'm glad that I have one that I can run to and say, yes, all you've said is right. But all of my sins are under the blood of Christ. Not just my past sins, not just my present sins, but all of my sins, hallelujah, are under the blood of the precious Lord Jesus. If there are any of your sins that are not tonight, you're doomed. The blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. Paul says, where's the wise man of the world? This is where we are tonight. Philosophy versus the Word of God. What the world says versus what the Bible says. And do you know, will you be honest enough with me tonight to acknowledge that sometimes God says some things that doesn't make a lot of sense to our way of thinking? <laughs> that God will require some things of you sometimes that cause His logic to go right out the window? Walk by faith and not by sight. I think I said that this morning. Walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? It means not trusting in things that we can see. I hear people all the time say, what are we going to do if Social Security goes under? You're going to do what people did before they had Social Security. That's what you're going to do. Well, what will I have to give up? I don't know. But if you're a child of God, you won't have to give up your salvation. It's pretty evident none of us tonight here are starving. We're doing all right, aren't we? We're eating. Roof's over our head. We're doing pretty good. But, but we've got this thinking that the world has programmed us to think, what are we going to do? It, 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 it's every time you turn on the news, it's this. What are we going to do? What, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I, that's what the world, they feed off of that. The news media feeds off of that. Uh, Back around 2004, I think I was a pastor in a little church down home, and, and uh, a tornado came through. I lived about 15 minutes from the church, and I got a call. I, I stood at the door, and I watched the storm pass, and it was far enough from my house. We, we just got a lot of rain and some wind. But I got a call, and they said, tornadoes hit the church. You need to come down here. And I went down. Sure enough, it had pulled the brick off one side, took part of the roof off, and it picked the back of the roof up and set it back down, cracked everything along there. Water was coming out of the receptacles, and I mean, it was a mess. And so me and three or four men were in there, and we were trying to get tarps on the roof, trying to get things kind of covered up. And, and here the media started coming. There was just a little strip of land there that this tornado had come through and, and, and took out a, a trailer park and took out some farms through there, some buildings and, and some dairy barns. And, and here come the news media. And, and they'd come in, some of the men come in, and they'd say, hey, one of the news people out there wants to talk to you. And I said, I don't have time to fool with them. I said, we're busy. I said, pass them off to somebody else. I don't want to talk to them. It went on into the night. We were finally just buttoning everything up. And, and one guy come in and said, there's some woman from Channel 36 out here, and she says she's not leaving until you talk to her. And I said, all right. So I went out there, and uh, so they turned the camera on, and they said, uh, well, Pastor, uh, uh, I see your, your church has been, uh, is it destroyed totally? I said, no, ma'am, our church is fine. And she said, uh, well, I can, I, can see, I can see the damage. What do you mean? I said, you're just looking at the building. That's not the church. 
I said, you don't see the church. Church is not here. I said, church is scattered out up and down the hills and highways and the hollers of this community. That's not the church. That's the building. Well, you're awful positive. She said, I said, well, ma'am, I have reason to be positive. I said, this could have happened on a Sunday morning when the building was full and we could have had casualties and fatalities. It could have happened on a Wednesday night when we were gathered for prayer. I said, we're blessed tonight. All we've suffered is the loss of some of our building. We can build back. But I said, I can assure you the church of Jesus Christ will be alive and well come Sunday morning. Amen. She said, thank you. She turned everything off and they gathered up. Off they went. <laughs> Got home. My wife said, did that news person get a hold of you? I said, yeah, but that'll never make the news. She said, what channel is that on? I said, channel 36. She turned it on. I went to bed. She said, you know what? Next morning, she said, they never did mention that. <laughs> but you know, you know who they got? She went down the road and found an old boy down there. And he was saying, oh, we've lost it all. I don't know what in the world we're going to do. Everything just ruined now. I don't know what we're going to do. We've lost it all. That's what the world wants to hear. We haven't lost it all. We've gained heaven. We've gained everything in Christ Jesus. I have turned in my rags for a royal righteous robe. I've traded off my old garments for a new one that's blood stained by the precious Lamb of God. Tonight, church, don't think like the world thinks. Don't get sucked into that vacuum of trying to do church like the world does business. We look to the King of glory and we pray, and God does unspeakable things. God moves in a way that the world looks at us and they say, how is that possible? And we say it's not without God. God specializes in impossible tasks. But in our day, when we, when we begin to develop the philosophy of the world, we'll get the results the world gets. And we'll be in competition with the world. And I want to tell you, you can't win in that competition. The church was never meant to compete with the world. We're, we're a different entity. We're a different group of people. And we are strangers and pilgrims here. I remember, I'm done when I say, I remember going to Norway once, temporary duty. And I remember how out of place I felt. I, I, I couldn't speak the language. Uh, I remember one day going down a, a street there in Norway and there... There was a, a vendor out there, and they had some Cornish hens. I'm telling you, they looked so good. And I wanted one of those Cornish hens, and I was having such a hard time getting that girl to understand what a Cornish hen. I didn't know how to say that in Norwegian. And I was pointing, and she'd keep pointing to something else, and it was kind of back away from me. And, and I finally said, hot dog, give me a hot dog. And she finally said, oh, a hot dog, okay. I didn't speak the language. I couldn't sing their songs. I couldn't, I couldn't communicate. I was a stranger. You know what was on my mind while I was there? Coming home. Coming home. I wanted to be at a place where I could talk and people could understand me. No, 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 now, no, nothing, nothing bad I'm saying against the Norwegians. I just wasn't one. You see? You're not of this world, child of God. You're not of this world. <laughs> we, we, ought to, we ought to thank God right there. You are a pilgrim and a stranger. Passing through a world of sorrow. Passing through a world that's under the condemnation and the damnation of Almighty God. And our call as we go through should be clear. Come to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look to Calvary. There's one there who's paid the debt that you owe. There's one there that can release you from your bondage. There's one there that sets the captive free. The world says, well, we'll put them in prison and we'll make them better. Yeah, you make a better con artist out of them most of the time. That's really what's happening. I, I mean, we're just, we're just not doing very well. The world doesn't do very well with its philosophy, does it? The world says, well, we'll throw more money at the problem. Well, that's really helping us out. The world is saying, hey, we, we got the answer. I, I hear it all the time from the politicians to the, to the people that are supposed to be the brains of our day and the experts of our day. And nobody is solving the problem. 
You know why? The problem is unsolvable outside of Christ Jesus. Outside of him who died for us, the problem is unsolvable. The world will have its misery and its woe and its misfortune. It'll have its hurricanes and its tornadoes. It'll have its floods. It'll have its famines. And it'll have its wars until King Jesus comes back. Until he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. And until every eye shall see him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Spoke this morning about the condescension of our Lord. But you know when he stepped all the way down to the death on the cross and he died and was put in a tomb. He's lifted back up to the place of majesty now. He's not going to come as a baby in a manger anymore. He's not going to come to be nailed to a tree the next time. And all the mouths that have taken his name in vain and all the people that have cursed him and rejected him will one day bow the knee. And they'll say, Jesus is Lord. May we not think like the world. We have the most precious commodity in all of the universe, and that's the gospel of Christ Jesus. This has been a simple message tonight, church. I hope it's not been so simple that you'll just stumble over it and say, ah, we already knew that. Don't think like the world. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, deliver us from this world system. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from becoming like the world around us. Father, I pray that you will deliver us from trying to operate a supernatural entity like the world around us. Father, may your people return to the belief that prayer and Bible study are fundamental to the Christian. Lord, may we seek your face daily. Pray, Lord, for our provision. Pray, Father, for you to send what we need. Father, give us more George Mueller's. Give us more men that will pray. Lord, that we won't try to finagle. And we won't try, Lord, to pull spiritual business deals. Lord, we're strangers here. You know that, Lord, better than any of us because you were such a stranger to this world. And yet, Lord, you have given us victory. We're in it, but not to be of it. We pray tonight, Lord, you will bless those that need a blessing. Convict those that need to be convicted. Set us on the right path, Lord. Set me, Lord, always on the right path. Obedient, Lord, to your voice. May we hear you and obey, Lord, and you alone. When all the calls of this world cry out for us to listen, may we learn, Lord, to listen to the voice of Christ. For we ask in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.